Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Let's remain standing as we read in Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram. Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This is the word of the Lord. You guys may grab a seat. Now, if you've ever had a big decision in front of you that would require a transaction, a lot of times it's a financial decision. Maybe you're buying a new house, a new car. Maybe you're taking a new job. It could be that you're actually picking a college, but usually there is a time where you sit at a table and you review terms, you evaluate what it is you're going to do, what you're going to get, what you're going to give, and this transaction will require a yes or a no. Now, whichever one you choose, a yes or a no, it does have an effect on your life, but most of the time, it is the yes that actually changes Everything. Morning, Hill City. If you're visiting, my name is Brad. It's just an honor that I get to be one of the pastors of this church and open God's Word and be able to teach it uh, to you this morning. I'm very excited because we are back in the book of Genesis. Now, we started Genesis in the fall when all the college students got here. Side note, only about half of our college students are back. Next week, we are moving our gathering times to 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, okay? So hopefully that helps with some space here. If some of you guys want to jump into the 9 o'clock, that would help. I don't know we're going to put the other 200 college students that will be here next week, but we'll figure it out. It's going to be an awesome problem to have. But we were in Genesis last semester. We broke for Advent, but prior to breaking for Advent, we had gotten through Genesis chapter 
11. So we started in 1 and we got to 11. I want to do a significant amount of review today. I can't do all of the review. I know many of you weren't here last semester for Genesis. I would, I would send you to our podcast. You can catch up on what we uh, talked about in, in Genesis. By, by way of review, we were through Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 11. And, and we remember that it was Moses who wrote Genesis. Moses actually wrote the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. And why did he write Genesis? Because Israel needed to. They wanted to, but they needed to know their story. They needed to know where they came from. They needed to know who they were. Now, I'm going to simplify this. There's way more to this, but I just want to help you maybe get a grasp on all of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 through 11, which we just went to, you can break it down into sort of four parts, which is creation, fall, flood, Babel. We got through the Tower of Babel before we broke for Advent. Well, chapters 12 through 50, there are 50 chapters in Genesis. You can break that down sort of into four parts, but we use people to do it. And that is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Just to help give you some framework for Genesis. Now, before we go on, I want to talk about this. I grew up in the church, and if you grew up in the church... You were taught these stories, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, go on into Moses and to David and to Joshua and all these, right? And what, what you did is you went, now listen, most of you aren't going to have a clue the picture that's getting ready to come up because you're too young. But, but they would teach us with flannel graphs. And they would take these characters, they would stick them to the Lord. I, listen, I can't even turn around and look at that because I have PTSD. <laughs> because Wanda is going to come out and put me in a corner for talking too much. And that was my Sunday school growing up. And that was me. And now here I am. But it's okay if that was you. We love our Wandas, right? But they would put these characters on a flannel graph. And it, what, what would happen is it would seem that a theme would emerge and it would be like, hey, be like Abraham, be like Isaac, be like Jacob, be like Joseph, don't be like Pharaoh. Hey, don't be like Abraham here, be like Abraham here. And, and what happened, and I do believe unintentionally, is that we would place ourselves at the center of the story. I am Abraham. I am Moses. I am David. So what happened is Bible teachers took notice, and they actually swung the pendulum. And basically, here's what started happening. Bible teachers would stand up and just start calling people idiots for doing that. Oh, you... How could you be so stupid? Come on, don't you know Jesus is the truer and better Adam? Don't you know that Jesus is the truer and better Abraham? Don't you know that Jesus is the truer and better David? Those statements are true. Amen, Hill City? Yes, we do believe that. Just to be clear, we absolutely believe that Jesus is, is the center of the story, and we should always go to him. But listen, Hill City Church, if you're visiting, maybe, you know, this is going to be a little odd to you, but like, man, we want to be a people of humility, okay? We, want, we actually just want to be reasonable people. Are we reasonable people, Hill City? Can we be reasonable? Just give me at least, just, can we? We can be reasonable? Yes. So we're not going to shame people or accuse people of like bad Bible teaching, when really it probably wasn't. And there's a group of guys, and, my, and, and me and my, my friend Dean taught me this statement, and a few of you are going to get offended, that's okay. So he taught me this statement, and, and, or this name, and he labels these guys Theobros. And, and, and Theobros, these are theology bros. 
right? And here's what happens. They sit around with their beards and their pipes and their big theology books, and they just talk about how stupid all the other Christians are. Oh, they, these idiots don't get it. And listen, to be clear, I actually don't have any problems with beards. I don't have any problems with pipes. I actually recommend theology books. It's the Theo bros for me. And we pray those guys out of here. Okay? We ask that the Lord would change their heart, and if not, get them out of here. And he's been so faithful. <laughs> he has. Yes, Jesus is a truer and better fill in the blank. But you know, Paul wrote some things about maybe how we are, are able to look at the Old Testament. He said, now these things took place. What things? Oh, these things in the Old Testament that we're going to look at today. Paul says, this is in 1 Corinthians 10. Now these things took place as examples for us. You know what that means? We can look at them. And we, we don't have to conclude, well, I am Abraham. No, but we can look at Abraham and go, mm, man, I have something to learn from his example. These things took place for examples for us. Romans 15, for whatever was written in former days, it was written for our instruction. And it, and it was, so we're not going to create this false dichotomy that like, like, man, no, we can look at examples and learn from those examples. And we can also look at Jesus every step of the way in the Old Testament. We are going to look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob this semester. We'll do Joseph in the fall when everybody gets back. And we have so much to learn from there examples. It was written for our learning. And, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is all over Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We must study Genesis. Now, Jen Wilkins says you got to study Genesis. We must study Genesis. And here's why she says we should study Genesis. She said because we think that we know it. And let's be honest, there are things that my Sunday school teacher, Miss Wanda, she could not tell me on a flannel graph. She should not have told me on a flannel graph. It would have been inappropriate. There are some whack things in Genesis that we are not going to probably teach to our seven-year-olds. We will go there in this room, though. It's going to get weird. It, it just is. And we're not going to skip over it as if it didn't happen. Now, so we pick up, right, here we are. It's Abram today, and this is more review, so I need you to stay with me. It can seem that we are picking up a new story of the Bible. Okay, we stopped at Tower of Babel, now we got this brand new story of a guy named Abram. And quite honestly, it's just easier to act like and treat it as if it's a brand new story. But we have to recognize that there's a storyline of Scripture. Right, Christmas Eve, we talked about the meta-narrative. These stories are connected. One of the ways that God shows us how they're connected, he does it through lists of descendants that he gives us in his word. So we go all the way back to last August, right? We had Adam and Eve. And everything was awesome, and, they, and, and, and then they sinned, right? This is the fall. We have creation, and then we had the fall. They sinned, and it was Genesis chapter uh, 3, verse 15, where God said, I'm going to send a rescuer. This woman is going to have a baby, and the baby's going to crush Satan's head. Well, guess what? Eve, she had a baby, and then she had another baby, and they didn't crush Satan's head. One of them crushed the other's head. Cain, 
and Abel. So Cain killed Abel. Wicked Cain killed righteous Abel. Well, then Adam and Eve, they were given another son, Seth. So now we still had wicked Cain, and now we have righteous Seth. And in Genesis chapter 5, we see Adam's descendants. But the Bible gives us Adam's descendants all the way to Noah through Seth, righteous Seth. Adam all the way to Noah. Well, the world got super wicked, super fast, and and guess what? God's like, I've had enough, and he sends a flood because of the wickedness, but he saves one family. It's Noah's family, and you can read in Genesis chapter 10, you can see Noah's descendants. Stay with me. We're reviewing here. He had three sons. Shem, Ham, Japheth. And this takes us now to Babel. They get off of the ark. They started having family. Now you got millions of people back on the planet. And they all thought they could be God better than God. So they built this tower. They wanted a great name. And in the Bible we see Shem's descendants. Now Shem was on the ark he personally saw personally experienced the faithfulness of God he was delivered from the flood God brought him through the flood Shem and what Shem should have done is he should have told his son Arpashad, and then Arpashad should have told his son Shelah, and Shelah should have told his son Eber, and Eber should have told his son Peleg, and Peleg should have passed that faithfulness on to Ru, and Ru should have passed that on to Sarag, and Sarag should have passed that faithfulness on to Nahor, and Nahor should have passed that on to Terah, who then should have passed that on to Abram. Should have. See, this line of Seth, this would have been the line that actually would have remained in Babel. God dispersed them, but there were some people that stayed there. It's what we would, will read later when we hear of Babylon. This would be where they were located when God dispersed people all over the planet. But it was this line of Seth, right? This is where the story of God should be passed down. It was this line that the faithfulness of God was to be talked about, which were to be celebrated, which would have then led to worship of the one true God. Here's the problem. That wasn't happening. And now we enter into our text. So look at Genesis chapter 28. Terah, he had three sons. One of them died. That was Lot's dad. We'll get to Lot. It's going to be nasty, but we're going to get there. Not today, not for a few weeks. But he had two sons left. And they lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. And then you look on in verse 11 and in 31 that, that they, they left and they went forth from Ur of the Chaldeans. And they were actually on their way to Canaan, but they stopped in Haran. 
One commentator says that Ur, this, where they were coming from, it was known for moon worship. And Terah's family likely served the moon god, Sin. And Sin actually had a uh, wife and daughter. And his wife and daughter's names were Sarai and Milcah. Meaning, the two women who moved, who were married to Abram and were Abram's sister-in-law, they were named after these other ladies. These people were worshiping other gods, many false gods. One was moon god. They were not worshiping the one true God. Joshua says as much in chapter 24 as he's recounting history and he's talking about Abram and he said literally they served other gods. They were not serving the one true God and this is a big problem but there was another problem because you have this line of Seth okay that comes all the way now to Abram And there was a little sentence in verse 30 of chapter 11, and it's this. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, is barren, and she had no child. So it's not just that they were worshiping idols. This line of Seth was about to be over. If Abram dies, it's over. He had no son to carry on. His family. This is a hopeless situation. Let me sum it up for us. Abram is a real person. Abram is a regular guy. Don't miss that. Abram was not looking for God. Abram was not being faithful to God. Abram had no ability or power within him to have a future. Abram had abandoned, uninterested in the one true God. He was spiritually hopeless. So we have to understand out of the gate, this book, this book is not a book about good guys and bad guys. This book is about a good God who takes bad guys and he works through them and he works in them. But we need to pause again because Abram's situation, I hope it rang familiar in your ears as it did in mine. See, this situation is very familiar because you have to understand what happened in Genesis actually has never stopped happening. Brad, what are you talking about? I know this for a fact. Brad wasn't looking for God. Brad was not being faithful 
to God. Brad had zero power to do anything about his future. Brad was uninterested in God. And what happened in Genesis, listen, if, if, if you don't recognize it, I just told you your story. Abram was far from the Lord. He wasn't being faithful to God. He wasn't looking for God. He had no ability to have a future. And then something happened that changes everything. Well, what happened? Here you go. Now, the Lord said to Abram. Did you see it? Did you catch it? Catch what? That. Yeah, but what's that? That? Wait, what happened? Let me read it again. Now, the Lord said to Abram. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what changes everything. Here it is. God called Abram. And if you're taking notes, this one I want you to write down. God called Abram and God called you. Listen, you need to understand the theology of this church. What makes you a Christian? It's the reality that, the, that God called you to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And listen, let's look at Abram. Don't forget his lineage. It was idolater after idolater for generation after generation until God stepped in. Not until Abram got his act together and fixed all of his works. God had to step in. Let me just talk to a few of us who maybe we look back and we're like similar to Abraham and we we can look back at our family. And man, it is, it's not an awesome story to read. And it's that you're here today, and I don't know if you follow Jesus or not, or maybe you do, and you're just not, you're just not really living for him, and you need to understand this morning that, that our family doesn't disqualify us from the calling of God on our lives. Did you come from a broken family? So what? You look at your family, maybe a word that the world might use. Man, that is a, that's a dysfunctional family. Just hold on to your seat as we go through Genesis. You want to see some dysfunction. Maybe your family is just, maybe it's just nasty. Maybe it's just wicked. You need to hear this morning that it's the call of God through his son Jesus that changes everything. Here's the thing. About the call of God. It's radical. It's drastic. It is never casual. Listen, if the call of God on your life, if it didn't seem radical or drastic, it may not have been the call of God. Now, listen, Theo bros. Pump the brakes. Let me explain what I wasn't saying. I'm not saying 
that your life story had to be that you were in the deepest, darkest ditches of despair and addiction and all that, and that God had to pull you out of something like that for you to be. That is not what I'm saying. Are some of those stories in the room? Yes, but that's not what I'm saying when I'm saying that the call of God isn't radical and drastic and never casual. Well, what are you saying? Well, here's what I mean. Let's read verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, that's the call of God. That's crazy. God steps in and everything changes. What does he say to Abram? Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house. Well, that's crazy. That's, that's actually everything he's ever known. Yep. That, like, that's everything that's familiar. That's everything that's comfortable. That's everything that's predictable. That's everything that's controllable. Yep, leave it. That's the drastic call of God on our lives. Has God called you something? And have you said yes? See, for a few in the room, not many, but there are a few of you, that this call that I'm talking about, it's actually the call of salvation, that you've never trusted Jesus. And you're here because God brought you here. He got you here. He's in charge of everything. And you're hearing the gospel. And for the first time ever, the call of God to follow him and pass from death to life, that's real for you in this moment. That is for a few of you. But for most people in the room. See, we use terms like this in church. and We use them. We're so familiar with them. We don't even understand the weight. But we use terms like this. I gave my life to Christ. And my question is this, have you? Really? Is your yes already on the table or do you need to see and read the terms first? See, because God called Abram and he calls you, and your second point for the note takers in the room is this. When God calls you, he's actually calling all of you. Everything that you have, everything that you are, he is calling all of you. So I'm going to ask it again. Is your yes on the table? I mean, yes, I'm here. I go to church. I go to church, 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 church. It's not what I mean. See, this box represents your whole life. Any of you got plans? Oh, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing in November. You know what you're majoring in. You know when you're going to graduate. You know what you're going to do next Christmas. And you have plans. And the question is, what if God calls you to different ones? Is your yes on the table? 
or do you need to see the terms? Wait. God, what do you transfer? No, I plan to graduate next spring. I plan to graduate, transfer to another school where we might plant a church like is your yes on the table? And is it on the table before God even asks? See, some of us done been to college, huh? We spent our work and our time, and we got degrees. And God might ask you for those. Oh, you spent how many years getting those? I may not want you to use them. But God, the effort and the time and the money, like, and I, my, these, my identity are actually tied up in what I studied my whole life. And listen, to be clear, some of you, here, here's all that means. All that means is this. You need to go do what God wired you to do, and you need to do it incredibly well. But your little shift is this, that now you need to leave out of here and go to work tomorrow and start doing it for the glory of God and for the mission of God. And you haven't done that yet. That's what that means. And for some of you, it means leaving behind an identity. And doing something else. For some of you, it might mean taking what God gave you in those degrees and he allowed you to get through it. And that you would move to another city and get a job where there's a church going to be planted. And it's like, which city? Don't know yet. Well, what's going to be like? How am I going to afford it? I don't know yet. Is your yes on the table before you even know the city? My four. I got plans. I'm going to go to college. We got an engineer up here. My God, they're going to live right here with me. They're going to raise their kids. We're like, man, I can have all my grandkids. We can do Christmas. Like, I got plans for them. God calls them to move to another city hours and hours away to plant a church. Is, is my yes on the table? God, they're yours. They're not mine. This family is yours. It's not my, oh, wait a minute. Wait, you won't you want me to bring somebody else into this family and raise them and as my own and like adopt them and be but what if something happened to them when they were younger and they'll they have behavior problems what if but will they be 
You don't get to know. Is your yes on the table? Is God calling you to change your family picture? Okay, we get it, Brad. We get it. Don't, don't you dare. We get the point. Don't. I know what you're doing. I see your hand. Uh-uh. I work for that money. Like I came from nothing. And now I'm something. And you're going to... God has a way he wants you to spend your money. Are you going to say yes before he tells you the outcome? You gonna be radically generous as he's called you to be? I was like, no. Well, I need to know. I need what? Hey, to be clear, just in case. Like yes, on the table. It's a yes to God for your life. Whenever he asks, whatever he asks of it, before he asks. Will I get to keep my... What does that mean? I got to give up. Well, okay, Brad, but how am I going to? Those are terms. And we don't get to read those before our yes. Now, listen, you should read terms. You should review terms before saying yes to buying a house, buying a car, taking a new job, what school you're going to. But you need to know something. God is not a banker. God is not a car salesman. He is God. And he doesn't tell you the terms. Is your yes on the table? Listen, let's get back to our text. Abram didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know how he was going to get there. He didn't even know where he was going because God didn't tell him. Listen, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, ready, to the land that I will show you. God didn't say, hey, here's the address. Here's the person you call. They'll be there for you. We'll get you settled in. That isn't how it worked. He didn't get to know. Guys, our opportunity for a yes when it comes to God will always come with unknowns. Do you trust God enough to put your yes on the table? Brad, I want to. How do I do it? Listen, and I just want you to please hear my voice. I want to be kind in this. It's simply this. By faith. See, Abram is a portrait of faith. And it's not easy. Don't ever hear me say that faith is easy. It isn't. It's actually going to be really Hard. 
And it's not a one-time yes. You wake up every morning and you put a new yes on the table. God, whatever it is today, whatever is my wife or my life, it's yes, it's yes, and it's yes. And here's the reality, Hill City. I want you to know I understand this sometimes, really actually most of the time. We have to walk by faith with tears in our eyes. But you still go. talking to you about something that I haven't experienced. 2014, I left public education. This is what I went to school to do. Don't ask me how many years it took me. We're not having that talk right now. But I left, and I went into vocational ministry, and it was a year and a half later before we're planting a brand new church, Hill City. Let me be clear. My wife is staying home with four kids, and, and I didn't know if they were going to jump off of, of the deck. And, I mean, we're buying diapers. It was just like I was, it was so stressful. We don't know how we we're going to do it. Bill, paying bills, it was hard. But I want to tell you, like, no matter, even if the church would have failed and Hill City wouldn't be, I mean, look around the room. I'm not, I'm not promising you that you follow Jesus and it's always going to end up as good as this. But I will tell you, if you follow Jesus with your yes, it'll be worth it. See, some of you already know. You know in your heart you're supposed to move to another city where there's a major university to help play in church. You know this. It's your yes on the table. See, some of you are in a marriage, and it is a mess right now, and you actually know. You know this marriage shouldn't end, and the only way you're going to be able to stay in this marriage is just by taking a step of faith with tears in your eyes. And I can't tell you how it's going to end, but I know that step of faith should be taken. For some of you, like, your spending is going to have to change. Hill City is God calling you to something because here's what we have to understand obedience based on a known outcome that's actually not obedience that's not faith we don't get to know but it's worth it this brings me to my third and final it's not that God called Abram and he calls you and it's not that when God calls all of you he wants your whole life it's this that when God calls you it's never just for you he tells Abram I will make of you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. God was calling Abraham. God was going to bless Abram. And he was going to do it for so much more than Abram. He'll say, have you been called? Have you been called by Christ? You need to know that if you have been called by Christ, that is a blessing to you. And all the blessings that would come with that, those blessings, have been, they've been given to you in order for you to be a blessing. Is that how you are living? Let's just ask this. So far in 2024, where have you been blessed and then gone and blessed others? All right? Okay. Brad, it's January 5th. Okay. It's only 15 days in 2024. I get it. Where are you planning to be a blessing to others this year? Because it isn't just going to happen. This has to be intentional. God has blessed you. He's, he's blessed you in order to be a blessing God doesn't call church planters 
or people to go help plant a church just for the church planner. He does it for others. God doesn't give you wealth just for you. God didn't give you your family for you to take them in and hold them in just for you. God did not give you influence and the ability to leverage just, just, so you, that you, just so you could rise to prominence and not help other people. If you're following Christ, all that happens to his kids so that they can go bless other people. Is that how you're living? Is your yes on the table? If you're serving communion, I would love for you to head back. I want you to get the table ready. Listen, we can't overstate what God told Abram when he said, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. See that sentence right there? You have to understand. That sentence right there, in that sentence right there, is the greatest news you will ever hear in your life. Paul, he wrote in Galatians chapter 3, and the scripture, capital S, this is what we're reading over here in Genesis, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, here it is, here's the gospel. Here's what he said to Abraham. Paul's writing this. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul says that's the gospel. That's that's. That's in the Old Testament. But how did God do this ultimately? How did he bless all the families of the earth? See, Sarai was barren. Abram and Sarai had no kids. I didn't mention this. They were also exceptionally old. But what God was going to do is he was going to give them a son, an only son, a miraculous son. And when you see that in the Old Testament, it should always perk up our eyes and perk up our ears. Wait, a son, an only son. Listen, that always points to another son because Abram was going to have a son. And it was through that lineage that God would send his one and only son. See, Jesus said in John, as he's talking, he said, listen, he's talking to the Pharisees, for if you believe Moses, who wrote Genesis, if you would have believed Moses, you would believe me, because Moses wrote about me. When did Moses write about me? When he said, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's Jesus. He wrote of Jesus. Everything God promised in the Old Testament, it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our blessing. Hill City. Is he enough for you? Is that blessing enough? Jesus, he's our king. He's eternal. He's holy. And he's worthy. What's he worthy of? It all. My whole life. your yes on the table because here's the catch we don't get to read the terms the temporary terms but we already know the eternal terms I want you to stand with me last week I stood in a room and 5,000 college students 
sang these lyrics. And I'm just telling you, I can't unhear it. But these are the terms. These are the eternal terms. This is how it's going to go. This is how I know my yes on the table before I know exactly how it's going to go is worth it all. How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets to look upon the one. who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. Every prayer we prayed in desperation, the songs of faith that we sang through doubt and fear, in the end, we will see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God, I pray. I've been praying. I'm going to keep praying that those who are in this room and they're your kids, God, may they put their yes on the table. And you go change the world. Through those yeses, God, there's somebody here, they don't even believe in you, but maybe today you would invade their heart. You're calling them. And may they, for the first time, believe in you today. Do that in this place by the power of your spirit. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. So we're going to come to the table. Let me explain something. There are going to be people down here ready to pray with you. Some of you are wrestling. You're wrestling with that yes. And it's just that you need to pray with someone about that yes. But here's what I also understand. Some of you it's like, man, I'm not really comfortable. I don't know them people, and I don't know if I want to pray for them. We understand that. Here's what I want to tell you. Up here in between each communion station and then two back there on each side of the sound booth, we have tables, and they have cards on them, and there are pens, and there are baskets. You can just write down, how can we pray for you? We would love it if you'd put your name on those. And here's what I promise you. I promise, I promise you. We will take those. The elders of this church will pray over those. Those of us who are following Jesus, we come to this table and we celebrate he who died and rose again. Let's eat.